Welcome to Here's the Scoop, a podcast that takes a bite-sized look at the evolution of food and trends from a uniquely Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Pei Chen. I love holiday-themed treats. It usually means we start seeing cakes in the shape of Yule logs, snowman-themed cupcakes, and cookies decorated with red, white, and green sprinkles. But I've always found it interesting that there is one kind of cookie that you don't see much year-round, that is, until the holiday season, and that's gingerbread. I always crave the flavor of ginger and molasses with a little sprinkle of sugar. Nowadays, there are so many creative ways to create that gingerbread flavor, including some very Canadian recipes that we're going to dig into later. First, I want to get into the history of gingerbread as a flavor, as a cookie, and as the infamous house. Tori Avey is a food blogger and recipe developer who loves to delve into the history of every recipe she makes. She explains that we have to start with the origin of ginger root, which was first cultivated in ancient China. Ginger root uh, came to Europe via the Silk Road. And during the Middle Ages, it was really favored as a spice for its ability to disguise the taste of preserved meats. So in the Middle Ages, there was no refrigeration, obviously. And um, spices were really heavily added to um, dishes that included meat, um, preserved meat, so that they didn't have that off taste to them. And ginger, if you've ever tried it, which most of you have, I'm sure, it's it's, it's a very potent spice. It's got a very potent flavor. And so it was um, one of the most prized spices in the Middle Ages because of that. Um, And it wasn't until the late Middle Ages that gingerbread actually... um, came to to refer to a bread or a cake or a cookie. Um, in medieval England, the term gingerbread originally referred to just preserved ginger, but it wasn't until the 15th century that gingerbread started being used to describe cakes and cookies made with ginger. She says pretty quickly, people also realized that it preserved pastries and breads and gave them a longer shelf life. This made it even more popular. And during the Middle Ages, uh, gingerbread became popular as a hard cookie or biscuit-type cookie that was served at medieval fairs in England, Holland, uh, France, and Germany. And over time, some of these festivals became known actually as gingerbread fairs, the ones in England. And uh, gingerbread cookies that were served there were called fairings. And they came in all different shapes and um, sizes, and um, some of them were decorated. Um, The shapes were really seasonal. Um, They could be shaped like kings and queens, or they could be uh, related to the season. In in Easter, they would do flowers for the springtime. Um, In fall, they would do animals. um, And so it's just really, they they were known to um, be a celebration not only of what was happening in the time period, but also of the season. In the Middle Ages, Tori explains royalty would have their gingerbread elaborately decorated, particularly in England. Elizabeth I's court was known to um, to present these very fancy gilded uh, gingerbread cookies to foreign dignitaries, and um, they were gilded with gold leaf. And so it's funny, I don't know if you've heard the expression, take the guilt off the gingerbread, which means to take, make something less appealing. But that actually derived from the gold leaf, which was used to decorate gingerbread cookies back then. 
Meanwhile, in the 16th century, over in Germany, they were using gold leaf to decorate their gingerbread houses. They came to popularity around the same time that the Brothers Grimm wrote the story of Hansel and Gretel, which I'm sure you've all heard this story, um, which features a gingerbread house in the woods that two kids stumble upon and a witch is living there. Um, So historians aren't totally sure if the gingerbread houses came before that story or if the story made the gingerbread houses really popular. But around that time, gingerbread houses became um, a very entrenched popular tradition in Germany and became associated with the holidays and the Christmas season. And, you know, you still see that today. It's a very popular part of the Christmas tradition. So gingerbread made its way to North America with colonial settlers. And the German settlers brought the tradition of making gingerbread houses for the holidays. Now, let's talk about some recent recipes and creative spins on the traditional gingerbread house. I thought the best person to speak with would be pastry chef Anna Olson. Anna, congratulations on your new book, Baking Day with Anna Olson, Recipes to Bake Together. Uh, comes out just in time for everyone to start planning what they want to bake this holiday season. When I say gingerbread, what does that make you feel? I take a deep inhale breath because I just think of the aromas of gingerbread baking. I didn't grow up with childhood memories of anything gingerbread in my home. It just... I wouldn't say gingerbread was a Chen household flavor over the holidays. Uh, So what are your early memories of gingerbread? Um, Only one particular style. My mom mom will be the first to tell you she's not a baker. And so sometimes she turns her head sideways when she looks at me. (laughs) Where did this come from? Um, But it, it was actually my grandmother who's more an influence in the baking side of things, but my mom would make a fantastic gingerbread cake. So just a simple single layer, soft gingerbread cake that she would bake in a square pan, almost coffee cake style. And so you would cut out a square and serve it with a dollop of whipped cream. And it was delicious and it smelled fantastic as if it took a lot of effort, but yet it didn't. That cake sounds actually pretty perfect. Do you remember when you first started experimenting with gingerbread? I started pretty early on, and I would say there was one go-to big-name cookbook that many of us relied on uh, when we were growing up. And I would say that um, the sort of the molasses cookies that would, the chewy version, uh, were the ones that I would make out of that cookbook. The ones you roll in sugar, and then they kind of get all crinkly on the outside, that that was my that was sort of my first experience not just with gingerbread but baking with molasses which was you know when you're eight or nine is like what is this weird ingredient and it looks like it should taste delicious but then you eat it and you're like (laughs) it's awful okay molasses fools so many people because it looks like it will be this i don't know delicious sweet thick syrup like a maple syrup um but then you're in for like a rude awakening when you actually taste it and it's incredibly bitter. Yep. And just like a cocoa powder, you think, oh my gosh, delicious chocolate. Blah. <laughs> when did you get into building gingerbread houses or uh, gingerbread homes? Um, you know what? I've grown into it. I remember one year growing up, um, my, my dad um, long retired, but uh, is a, a graphic art professor. And 
he was very much, he always encouraged at holiday time that, yes, we can do the store-bought gifts, but uh, on Christmas Eve, we would always agree to exchange something homemade from each other. And so I was not very good at painting or crafting or any of those typical visual arts um, media, but I could cook and bake. So one year, instead of making anything crafty, I made gingerbread houses for everyone. And I realized about, you know, three days into the process, I had really taken on, because I was designing, I was, was being the architecture and creating a different house for everybody. And I'm I have not witnessed any photos of these Detroit houses, so I think it was just kind of, we will just forget that happened that Christmas. Well, making a gingerbread house from scratch is definitely not a quick and easy project, uh, but it can be done. Well, I think that's what, if people want to take on uh, a gingerbread house type project uh, this holiday season, you know, assuming that we're not going to be hitting the Christmas party circuit and entertaining the same way. Maybe you do have that extra time, but the key is to budget um, not just a few hours, but a few days. And it's not that it takes eight hours a day to make it. You just really need to leave time for, especially when you're decorating for each stage to dry, especially when it comes to assembling the house itself. Or in my book, I did a cuckoo clock because yeah, a cuckoo clock is exactly the same shape as a house. The template to cut it out is pretty simple, but you've just got a little different character in there and, and you can get just as creative with the how you choose to decorate it on the outside. Yeah, the cuckoo clock is definitely a different way to present and create a gingerbread house. Obviously, that requires a very crisp, hard, sturdy cookie. But what is your preference when it comes to gingerbread? I'll admit, I prefer the soft. I like the chewy ginger molasses cookies. I like the cakes. Um, And I think there's more of an aroma that comes out of them. The one exception I will make is the European, I love uh, specula, which is, yeah, the the crunchy version of um, gingerbread, but from Europe. And it's, it's so buttery. And the spice profile is different. It's got star anise uh, or sorry, ground aniseed in it, sometimes black pepper. Um, And I also like pfeffernus cookies, which you can buy them store-bought and they're often sugar glazed in European delis. And they're just little round dots. Um, But again, they have that gingerbread spice profile, but it's the European version. So it's a little less about the cinnamon and the nutmeg and it's more about the ginger and the clove. And the pepper. I really like how you've broken down the chapters in your latest book, including one section that is just dedicated to gingerbread. Well, I find when it comes to if you're going to have a baking day, sometimes your choice of what to make isn't based on anything other than a craving uh, or ingredients you have on hand. So in addition to the gingerbread chapter, I have, you know, all things chocolate chip, all things marshmallow, because maybe that's what you have. You have it's like you're looking in the pantry going, okay, I have a bag of chocolate chips. What can I make with that? Or it's that, oh, I am in the mood for something toffee or I am in the mood for something gingerbread. And you're just craving that flavor profile. And so I wanted to kind of collect those recipes, those mood recipes into one section. So that's where um, I make a gluten-free version of the gingerbread cake that my mom used to, to make. 
um, and not that exact recipe. Um, and then I do a triple ginger bundt cake with brown butter glaze. So when you're looking for something bigger, but you can also make them as miniatures if you want, if you need to do the door dropping, which is what people are doing a lot of now. It was actually the triple ginger cake that caught my eye. I think that might be the first thing I make uh, from that section. I also love how you can play with the flavors of gingerbread and can vary the amount of spices uh, to get the flavor that you want. Yeah, and well, and that's what I love about, I mean, there's gingerbread, which is kind of the precursor to pumpkin spice. We love talking about pumpkin spice everything, forgetting that there is no pumpkin in pumpkin spice. It's just that essentially gingerbread spice blend um, and gingerbread came first, but I love layering the ginger. So wherever possible, I like to add fresh grated ginger for the real heat and then, and then the dried for the power that gives you kind of that pepper character. And I love using candied ginger too. Yes. Candied gingerbread can be a bit of a gateway to loving ginger because it's just so sweet and kind of chewy and delicious Um, for, for people who might find, ginger to be a bit of a strong flavor. I feel like when you candy something, suddenly it just opens up a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And it's soothing. And it's also of all the candied fruits, like I'm not so big on all the, you know, the holiday red and green cherry with cherries, which I don't think are food. Um, and and the colored peel. I, I love good candied orange peel, but really that and candied ginger and I'm happy. How do you like using gingerbread? Like do you adjust the spices? I do because it does depend on the recipe. And if you've got something that has a lot of molasses to it, well, you need to really um, ramp up the spices to compete with that that bitterness um, and the dark color there in terms of the matching the flavor profile. Where something milder, if you're doing uh, a more European style of gingerbread that uses honey as opposed to molasses, then you can back off on the spices a little bit. Um, and also I find it can be a little intense. Um, I have a recipe in the book for chewy chocolate ginger molasses cookies and they're, I love ginger and chocolate together. I think it's a divine combination, but I find them more of a grown up cookie because I really pack in the ginger in in a single cookie. And so, uh, you know, an eight year old might pick it up and wonder why their sinuses are being cleared by a single cookie might be a bit intense for kids. Um, but as a grown-up, it's definitely a grown-up have with a latte kind of cookie. What are your baking traditions? Um, well, I like to do a mix. I, I like everyone. There are certain recipes I like to respect and do for tradition. So my mom's pinwheel cookies, um, which for this book, when I started talking to her about it, because my memory was of her making it, and she, she said to me, well, I can't take credit for that recipe because that's your grandmother on your other side's recipe and I was like I had no idea but my memory is just of her making them so I was like I'm going to give you the credit for it because <laughs> that's all I remember um so something a staple like that but I do like to get creative and inventive um each year and switch it up so that it's not just all predictable I love that the first recipe in the gingerbread section is actually gluten-free. I think that is something we see more of and it makes it all the more accessible to uh, the trends that we're seeing now in terms of baking. Well, and I think the idea, part of baking day is to be uh, family and friend inclusive. So, you know, you're rarely baking just for yourself. 
And so, and especially at holiday time, if you are gifting, you know, we're not doing gatherings of the same scale and size this year, but if you're, you know, doing cookie tins for friends and family, there are chances that you will be baking for someone who has a gluten intolerance or is vegan. Um, and you want to make sure they have something delicious to count on. So I try and include either it's directly tested to be gluten-free or vegan, or I, I work with the common substitutions. And if they're simple and come out predictably similar to the original recipe, I will include them. I love making treats for the holidays and giving them as gifts, um, but I love just as much receiving a really beautiful tin of cookies from someone, even though I might have like eight dozen different cookies at home, there's something really exciting about seeing what other people have made and and just trying other flavors. Yeah, and I think that's our, we're looking also for, because we won't be doing those big gatherings, we're looking for different ways to express our love and affection, um, but at a distance. And something sweet and homemade is just a delightful way to show You've invested not just buying the ingredients, but you invested the time to make that for someone. And I think someone receiving that will really feel how special that is. Speaking of special cookie recipes, this chef has mastered the method of mixing traditional recipes with modern twists. Dickie Uzisqui is the owner of Sous Chef Catering in Regina, and is known for his indigenous gingerbread cookie recipe. Sushef Catering is uh, an Aboriginal First Nations catering company, so I take everything that is uh, worldly and I kind of turn it into indigenous size for your. Basically, I have my own take on sushi, I have my own take on a lot of dishes from around the world, and I use our own indigenous uh, food ingredients like wild meat, all the traditional game meats, as well as a lot of the berries and the traditional foods that were gathered here on my area of North America. So where I'm from here in Saskatchewan, when it comes to Aboriginal cuisine, you ask anybody, what is it? And they always would say soup and bannock. And the thing is, bannock came from Scotland. And soup, it's worldly. Everybody has soup. But we have our own cuisine. And it's, it's, it's just something that you have to be a part of. I mean, I was raised eating traditional foods. I was raised by my great-grandparents. So we lived off the land. So that's where my, you know, my culinary training started when I was two, three, four years old. So I was, I think by the time I actually went to cooking school to go get my papers, I had enough knowledge in, in, in myself to actually pass the test as it was. He says 21 years ago, a customer asked if he had any Indigenous holiday cookies. At the time, he didn't, but it got his creative juices flowing. So he started developing a recipe. It took me about six months of tweaking a recipe so that it would turn out to be a cookie that is stiff enough that it could stand up, but yet be tender enough to bite into and not dry out. And from there, I decorated it. Uh, the first uh, five years... I decorated the cookies with royal icing. And the only problem with working with royal icing is that it takes anywhere between 12 to 48 hours to dry. And the thing is, when I decorated the cookies, I did it in traditional fashion, meaning gingerbread men had braids, breastplates, breechcloths, and moccasins. And then the ladies, they had a traditional dress with 
like a traditional powwow outfit for traditional dancing with Kauri shells or basically it's dots of icing. And then they also have the long braids. So that's where I started. And the thing is, when we're doing that with royal icing, you have to start with layers. So first, you'd have to do the dress for the ladies. So you edge it, flood it, let it dry completely, and then do all the decorations on top of that. Let that dry, and then put the braids on, and then you have to let it dry out again. So after about five years, I kind of got tired of the long waiting period because the first year of doing them, I sold about 500 cookies. Uh, the second year, it, it tripled, and then it tripled and tripled and tripled. And then the last few years, I'm making anywhere between ten to 20,000 cookies a year. Dickie says the recipe has evolved to use chocolate instead of royal icing to help with the drying time. He adds that not only are the gingerbread designs unique, but the ingredients are too. Personally, I'm allergic to cinnamon. And every batch around the world, it, they always throw cinnamon in it for Christmas baking. And the thing is, a lot of people don't realize that that when it comes to a gingerbread cookie, it's, it's not just ginger. It's a whole bunch of other spices that tie it into it. And the thing is, my combination of spices, you wouldn't know that cinnamon is not in there. And I also have a couple other secrets that I'm not going to say, but it's it's not just sugar that goes into it. And that that's what kind of gives it that indigenous twist. Well, I'm officially intrigued. If you're interested in trying them, check out Sue Chef Catering on Facebook. Dickie sells the cookies for $2.50 a pop and ships them across Canada for the holidays. Thanks for listening to Here's the Scoop. I'm Peg Chen. The podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Capito. The sound designer and composer is Olivia Pascarelli. Its executive producers are Jessica Robinson and Kieran Rana, with creative direction by Monica Brelabreski. If you've liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to Here's the Scoop on your favorite podcast player and let us know what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share with a friend who also loves all things food. The opinions shared in this podcast are of each individual subject and do not represent the views of Loblaw Companies Limited or its affiliates.